I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why'd you take your pants off? My balls are hot. I thought we had to have all the answers right now. And now? I'm kind of liking the fact that I don't. If one of us goes to war, we all go to war. Welcome back to The Lover and the Fighter. I am your host, Charles Tajisco, and it's great to be back here with all of you for another week, you know. Uh, so the news is now out. District Martial Arts will be moving into Boston, Arlington, Virginia. That's Boston, B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N, not Boston. They, look, we've been working on this move for a long time, and it's just the stars aligned, and we finally made it happen. So we're moving to a space that's about two and a half times the size of where we're currently at. It's going to be a first floor location, floor to ceiling windows. We're going to have a nice elevated mat space. It's really going to be the the gym I had envisioned uh, when I started this project, like you know, about two and a half years ago, because it was about six months of prep, a little almost nine months of prep that went into the first location prior to that actually happening. So it's going to be a lot of work between now and then. Uh, it's it's going to be a ton actually, but I'm excited for it. You know, once we have the the lease sign, that was a really big weight off of our shoulders. And at that point, you know, the work didn't stop. It uh, it stayed pretty heavy, actually. But now you're working towards something that you know there's a finish line. You know what the end product is. You know what the end result is going to be, right? Whereas when you were, or when we were, I should say, trying to find a location and negotiating and putting in proposals and going back and forth and things were falling through at the last minute like they often do, in corporate real estate, there was just this almost anxiety of I'm putting in all this work, I'm putting in all this effort, and the reality is nothing might come of it. You know, it 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 could be for nothing. However, we were able to lock it in, and uh, it's as of November first, we will be rocking and rolling in a new spot, which is just so exciting, guys. It's just really, it's uh, it feels different. You know, it feels different. I was pretty pumped at the, you know, just the community. I've talked about it before of district martial arts and, and kind of everything that it means to me. Uh, you know, I kind of glass over that, but you, I, I touch on some of the, the some of the reasons why it's such a great place to be. But um, but this is really where it seems like, okay, like we got something now. You know, we're not going anywhere. We're not in a third, fourth place. You don't have to walk through a bunch of doors. We don't have to deal with neighbors. We are going to be locked, loaded, and... The only thing that's going to happen is a better product is going to be not only presented, but put forth with our coaching, our class options. We're not going to be hindered by space as much. I mean, and, you know, we still have some free parking, which is that in itself in this area is pretty impressive. So more to come on that. I'm sure there's going to be some venting sessions on here over these next five weeks. Jesus, even as I say that out loud, that's just a a lot's got to happen in five weeks, let me tell you. But um, but we're planning for it, we're ready to rock, and we're going to make it happen. This past weekend, however, we had some uh, UFC fights in Mexico City. And let's get you know let's get right to the main event. I'm actually going to touch on the UFC strategy as of late, but I want to talk about the main event. So we had Yair Rodriguez versus Jeremy Stevens. And for those that don't know Jeremy Stevens, he is an OG. He's had about 50 fights. He's fought... From WC on, he's been at Alliance, I think, his whole career. He's knocked out Rafael Dos Anjos. He's fought Jose Aldo, Max Holloway. 
I mean, he's fought everybody, a who's who. He's fought Frankie Edgar, uh, many, multiple former champs. He's been a top 10 guy for just about his entire career. And we've actually seen a career resurgence lately, uh, which brought him a top contender fight against Jose Aldo, in which he lost. And then another top fight against the beat Magomed Sharapov, which uh, while close fight, he lost that as well. But I say those two because I don't want to take away from the fact that he's been more dedicated than ever. He's been having bigger wins than ever. And just by and large, I've been a real, real big fan of this guy just from start to finish. Jeremy Stevens, actually, sidebar, I met him when I was doing commentary for Combate Americas. I just like to name drop like that. But Jeremy Stevens actually had moved to Mexico City for about six weeks. Now, for those that don't know, Mexico City's elevation is higher than that of Denver, Colorado. So definitely keep that in mind. This is a pretty significant time, uh, excuse me, a pretty significant altitude change. So he went there, prepared, spent time away from his family, spent time away from everybody to go and get himself ready uh, to fight Yair Rodriguez, who's an up-and-comer, who's coming off of a ridiculous last-second knockout over the Korean zombie, which was a bummer because I'm actually a Korean zombie fan, and I really just, one more second, and he would have won that fight, you know? Uh, But Yair's young, he's tough, he's very creative with his striking, and he's also quite athletic as well. And he's Mexican of nature, by the way, so he was definitely coming into a warm crowd. And I give you all this background information because the first 10 seconds of the fight, uh, Yair throws a kick, Jeremy Stevens goes to counter, and Yair pushes off Jeremy Stevens, and his hand, he kind of meant to like push off the forehead like to create that space. But as Stevens came forward and his hand came down, he ended up kind of clawing at the, uh, I believe it was the left eye of Jeremy Stevens. So at that point, he took a minute and then, you know, they, they called time. And then over the next five minutes, Jeremy Stevens' eye just continued to spasm and he couldn't open it. So they called the fight. Now, at this point, Yair Rodriguez starts to go ballistic the crowd in Mexico City starts throwing all sorts of stuff into the cage. It was hitting the commentators. Brandon Fitzgerald, the, the play-by-play guy working alongside Michael Bisbing, actually went under the table, which if I ever find myself at the desk, I will be sure to not do that. And I will be sure to take the Modelo's right to the head, as did Michael Bisbing. And it was just, it, it kind of just divulged into chaos. They got Jeremy Stevens out of there. Yair was very, very unhappy. He was very frustrated. And quite frankly, people were effectively blaming Jeremy Stevens and they were hating on him as if he wasn't a man and he didn't want anything to do with that fight. And Yair was not only letting this happen, but certainly encouraging it. And for those that don't know, Jeremy Stevens is arguably the most game fighter in the UFC, certainly on the, you know, first team all violence. He doesn't back down from anybody. He doesn't shy away from a challenge. He is always game and he never looks for a way out. I mean, I've watched him take beatings, and he's always pushing to the very last second. And sometimes he wins. Sometimes he gets the knockout, and other times he doesn't, but he never stops. And it really bothered me that the crowd was just berating him, and Yair Rodriguez was too. I I mean, I think even Brian, was it Brian Ortega and Cain, uh, Cain Velasquez? I think it was the two of them. I'm not sure if it was Brian Ortega, but definitely Cain Velasquez were in the crowd cheering against Jeremy Stevens, amping on and, and adding on to the, uh, the crowd's dismal reaction to what had occurred. And at its core, it was an eye poke. 
which is an illegal move. You could make the argument that Yair Rodriguez should have been disqualified and Jeremy Stevens should have gotten a win. I mean, Yair does not have a single thing to stand on here. He poked Jeremy Stevens in the eye. Jeremy Stevens actually ended up getting the entire, his entire uh, eye was like covered in bandages. It was, it was like a deep scratch. They said it will heal. He's going to be okay. But it was certainly nothing he could have fight through. I mean, the guy could have lost his eye. And not only that, it wasn't something that he could deal with in the interim to, to get the doctor's attention, right? So it wasn't like he could hide it for the doctor. He physically couldn't open his eye. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know what more you could want from the guy. I could tell you that if it was in the middle of the round and the time didn't stop, he would not have stopped fighting. But he couldn't see. He couldn't open his eye. And the crowd had a terrible reaction to it. And that was really disappointing to see. It was really disappointing to see. I mean, at what point do you just have to say, like, all right, guys, what, what are we doing? This is Jeremy Stevens. You know, no matter how much this guy has done for the sport, no matter how much this guy has shown in regards to his heart, his determination, his ability to move forward when the odds are stacked against him, it was in this one moment that an entire arena turned against him. And for Yair, I totally understand the frustration. He's a younger guy. He's learning to deal with it. But his reaction wasn't much... I mean, he, he was reacting terribly too. And apparently the next day, they had a conversation that turned into a scuffle because Yair was effectively insinuating like, come on, man, you didn't really want it. You, you, you didn't really want to want, want this problem. That was your way out, wasn't it? And Jeremy Stevens being Jeremy Stevens, shoved him, and, uh, and th that was more or less the end of it. But again, it's like, what, what is the benefit of that? What is the benefit of that? You poke the guy in the eye. If you kicked him in the balls, right, and it, one of his balls swelled up and he had to go to the hospital, would you be saying the same thing? I, I, if you hit him with a 12-6 elbow and it cut his forehead open and they stopped the fight, would you blame him for that? You poke the dude in the eye. He could have had a deeply scratched cornea. I mean, it could have been your fingernail slicing his eye. Like, there's so many things that could have gone into it. Who are you to call him out for something you did? It just, it blows me away. It blows me away. I, I mean, you know, there was a fight that happened last week between Todd Duffy and I want to say this guy's name was like Brian Young or something like that, which oddly enough is the name of a guy I went to uh, high school with. But the guy had said, oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really feel the eye poke. But it was the similar kind of idea. As this guy was pushing off Todd Duffy, his hands went, if you were close your eye, the top eyelid, his hand went like in between the eyelid and the knuckle. Uh, excuse me, the eyelid and like your, your eyebrow, right, the eye socket. So you feel that little area if you push in, you can kind of get part of your finger in that, that top of the eye between your uh, eyeball and the um, top of your forehead. It was like right in there, and it was a deep scratch, and they ended up calling the fight because he couldn't see. I mean, this guy didn't like it, but not for nothing. There was a big gash on his eye, which showed it was like clear as day from a finger down. This is kind of the same thing, you know? And all right, if, if Yair doesn't believe it, or is, he's like, oh, man, I didn't really think I got him. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Well, number one, he's got, a he's got an entire bandage over his eye, number one. Number two... Why then go and try to stir the pot and make it seem like it was all his fault? You did the act. You 
completed the illegal act, which was the eye poke, and it resulted in a disqual uh, excuse me a no contest, and they will be booked at a later date. But you know it's just such a such a shame for that fight to go that way. Uh, but these things happen, and when they do, it's if it's nobody's fault. But if it is going to be somebody's fault, it would be the perpetrator of the violence, right? In this case, or I should say the violation. It's all violence, and the violation in this case was done by Yair Rodriguez. However. They're going to get back after it. They're going to compete again, and I look forward to seeing what happens next. This weekend, we have another event, UFC in Copenhagen, Denmark. And this fight, I'm going to get into the UFC strategy after I break down this fight, but I want to make note, this is the third card in a row. That's a fight night card on ESPN+. Plus with multiple names that you'll recognize who are former pay-per-view main card fighters, maybe top 10 guys, maybe even top 5 guys who've kind of slipped off, but veterans of the UFC on the card but not matched up against other veterans, which is called the top-down approach. This is something Bellator did really well because they had a few homegrown guys that they would then pit and, and, and match up against higher-level guys who they signed from other organizations. We saw this with Benson Henderson. We saw the opposite happen with Marcin Held when he went to the UFC. Roy McDonald did the same thing, although Roy McDonald was a little bit more successful. So we've seen this happen before, right? Michael Chandler, too. Sorry, Grace, I just touched the mic. Michael Chandler, too, from Bellator. He was a transplant to the UFC. So we've seen Bellator do this quite a bit, uh, but we have not seen the UFC do it as much, and I think that's because they're a bigger organization with more resources. Uh, And I'm going to get to the caveat of that top-down approach and why it's being utilized by the UFC now. However, I want to go over three specific fights. Now, there's other guys on the card that you definitely want to look at. Cowboy Oliveira is on the card. Uh, Siuhar Bahaduzada, he's fighting as well. And there's a couple of the names that, that aren't coming to my mind. But three matchups in particular are the ones that I want you to look out for. The first one is Ian Kutalaba versus Khalil Roundtree. Now, Kutalaba, his last fight was against Glover Teixeira. And he lost. However, he's, he's traded some, some tough wins and losses with very top-tier competition. This is the guy from Moldova who's built like the Hulk. And he's young. He's 25. He's 14-4. and four. He's fought some of the very best in the UFC a little bit prematurely. However, he's also very, very talented and certainly not somebody you want to look past. And he's fighting Khalil Roundtree, who at 8-3 and three is young in his career. But he's coming off that unbelievable performance against Eric Anders, where he utilized incredible Muay Thai, a very awkward stance with that step, and was just repeatedly firing leg kicks. That that just showed how effective his striking was. And he's had very highs, like knocking out Gokan Saki, and then he's had some lows as well, like getting knocked out by Johnny Walker, which is what instituted his uh, change in game plan to move to Thailand and utilize the ties, learning the clinch, and becoming a better overall fighter. And that's Khalil Roundtree for you. And he's, you know, I'm going to tell you guys, I think this is this is going to be his fight. Kutalaba is not necessarily known for his grappling. And while Roundtree doesn't have great takedown defense, as he's progressed throughout his career, he's learned range much better. And he's developed some pretty good anti-wrestling skills between avoiding the takedown altogether, keeping the fight at distance so the takedown is never an option, or getting up when he gets taken down quickly. And Kutalaba has got a little, he's good at a little bit of everything, but he's definitely going to be, he's definitely got an MMA style, right? He's going to put pressure on you. He's going to throw a lot of punches. He he typically likes to keep the fight standing. So it's going to be, I think the fight is going to favor Roundtree with Kutalaba coming forward often 
and aggressively, and Roundtree utilizing the leg kicks, using good jabs and straight punches to keep Kutalaba away and make him a little bit more hesitant, which is going to allow Roundtree to land the harder shots, like that piston of a cross that he has that he used against Gokan Saki. So I think this is a good matchup for, for Roundtree, but it's hard to look past Kutalaba's just pure aggression and power. These are things that you just you have to always you know keep in mind. But I do feel that Roundtree has, has the advantage. But I think this is a, a very much a contender for fight of the night. And so you definitely want to be engaged each minute of this fight between Kutalaba and Roundtree. But I do believe Roundtree is going to come out on top. The next fight I want to go over is Gunnar Nelson against Gilbert Burns. So Gilbert Burns is coming up from 55. And he had some very good success at 55. And now he's competing at 170. And I'm going to tell you what, guys. He looked very good in his fight against uh, this undefeated Russian, who I forget his name. I apologize. It was like Konchenko or something like that. But that guy was 18-0, a very good striker, solid wrestler. And Dorino, Gilbert Burns, was just able to neutralize his game plan. He had all of the advantages on the ground, and he really held his own in the striking exchanges as well. And Gunnar Nelson... He has a very interesting style. He had a great fight with Leon Edwards. He has that karate style of striking where similar to Conor McGregor, but a little bit more in and out, forward to back, a little bit less angles. But he is quite explosive, and he is a very good grappler himself. However, as we get to this fight, despite his size advantage, I do believe Gilbert Burns is not only the better grappler, but I believe he has more power as well. Even though he's coming up in weight and he's not as big, Burns, is he's got very heavy hands, and he has top-tier Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So for Gunnar Nelson, I think his strategy has got to be to keep the fight on the outside, you know, avoid the clinches. If he's going to go for a takedown, he's got to get that in at his terms towards the end of the round, and he has to kind of keep the fight at a distance. Use his range, use his in and out, and really put Dorino, force him to be on his front foot being the aggressor, and then you could open up some more some more shots and takedowns. But for Dorino, for, for Gilbert Burns, Dorino is, is his nickname, I should have clarified. I think that he's got to be able to cut off the cage. And if he can get the fight to the ground, do it. Do it. Especially if he could end up in a good in a strong top game and in, in half guard. You know, he's got amazing top pressure. There's a lot of things that Gilbert Burns can do to put you in a position that you don't want to be in. And I actually believe that Gilbert Burns is he's the underdog in this fight, but I do think he's gonna find a way to get this fight. To, to win this fight. Although I think it's going to be a bit of a feeling out process. He might lose the first round, but I do think he's going to make the adjustment going forward, learning how to cut off the cage properly, learning how to kind of keep the fight where he needs it to be. And it might be a little bit uglier because again, he's dealing with a, a much bigger, longer fighter in Gunnar Nelson. But I think that Gilbert Burns is going to be able to get it done. And the main event is Jack Hermanson versus Jared Cannonier. They both share a mutual opponent in David Branch, and they both beat him. Cannonier uh, knocked him out in the second round, whereas uh, Hermanson choked him out, I believe, in the first round. And Jack also has, is coming off a big win over uh, Hinal, uh, Jacare Sosa, right? Ronaldo Jacare Sosa. So he's got a lot of momentum. His style is a little twitchy. He mixes it up very well, but it's a little bit awkward. And I think that it was just, he was beating Jacare to the punch, and Jacare never really settled in. For Jared Cannonier, his strike, first off, he's fought as heavy as heavyweight, and as he's made his way down, he's worked his way down to middleweight now, which is really where he should be. And he's fought, I mean, he's fought guys, he's fought Glover Teixeira, 
He's fought, uh, I believe he fought Ian Kutalaba, actually. He won. He's fought top-tier guys at heavier weight classes. Won some, lost some. However, coming down to 85, he has not lost yet. And he's looked so, so good. Both of his fights he finished. And I could tell you that with a guy like Hermanson, who he does have good uh, pressure, he does have good speed, he has a good awkward in-and-out style, a guy like Cannoneer who's going to counter and then come forward with big, heavy hooks and forward pressure and is powerful in strength and he hits like a truck, it's just a bad matchup for a guy like Hermanson. Jack's going to want to take the fight to the ground. I just am not sure when he'll be able to do that because his takedowns, he's not really known for them the same way in like, obviously not like a wrestler like uh, Yoel Romero or Chris Weidman. Like it's not, he doesn't have those types of takedowns. He has awkward or well-timed or somewhat awkward takedowns that happen through scrambles. And with Jacare, when they went to the ground, he didn't really do much. But I think that's because Jacare is, well, quite frankly, Jacare, he's amazing. Against Jared Cannonier, he'll definitely have an advantage on the ground. I'm just not sure he's going to be able to get it there because Cannonier has a very good understanding of range. And his quick shots, his quick jabs, his quick hooks, those are the punches that keep you at range. And his ability is, he'll be able to knock you out with those shots. I do have a bias because I really like Cannonier and I want him to win. I think Hermanson's riding some momentum and I'm surprised he took this fight. Because after beating Jacare, who's now going up to 205, I just think there were so many matchups you could have made for Hermanson that would be a little bit more involved, right? Putting him in a bit of a better position to just to, to fight a top contender, fight for the title, and, and move from there. But at its core, guys, I think that this is going to be a good fight. I think Cannoneer has what it takes to get the knockout win. But I, I am going to tell you that I think Hermanson has every advantage besides that power. You know, I think he's going to have the cardio. I think he's going to have the forward pressure. I think all of his skills indicate to me that he has the he's more likely to win. But Cannoneer's style against Hermanson's style, I see a lot of openings for, for Cannoneer to win. So I'm going to pick Cannoneer, but admittedly, guys, I am biased, but I'm, I'm giving you some objective facts as to why I believe he's going to win. So just keep that in mind. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the UFC's current strategy right now. So what's happening is... They're using that top-down approach, like I said. But what they're doing is they're pitting these UFC veterans not only against new prospects, they're pitting them against local homegrown talent. So they're showcasing local talent to fill the stands and to build the fandom around that fighter in these emerging markets. And then they're placing them against well-known UFC vets that are either going to beat the prospect and kind of get back on their horse or if they lose that homegrown fan his fan base just shot up tremendously and he's now going to be kind of the new guy in that area and you have a new regional pro who you could start building off of to develop uh to develop a market that otherwise wouldn't be the biggest mma market i think yair rodriguez is a good example of mexico city and i believe i believe that's why they had uh brian ortega there and obviously, Cain Velasquez, who's been involved in Lucha Libre. So this past weekend, they had all of their Mexican prospects out there, including their stars, even if they were just acting as ambassadors to the sport. And we saw this as well when Cowboy Cerrone fought Justin Gaethje. I believe that was in Denver. It was a card filled with guys who had good names, you know, Todd Duffy being one of them, the guy he fought, I believe Brian Young, but I'm not sure. Uh, he was a homegrown, homegrown guy himself. 
right? Todd Duffy fighting a Denver, na uh, Den Denver native. And all throughout the card, you saw that. So I, I, I think that this is a strategy for the UFC where, okay, guys, let's build up our, let's, let's keep growing this brand. Let's go to the emerging markets. Let's put on fight nights that aren't going to be a 10 p.m. pay-per-view start. Let's make it an 8 p.m. Eastern show so that people can actually live their lives after they, they watch these fights. And you put a couple big fights on there that people are going to tune into, a couple names that people are intrigued about, and then you're going to develop new stars that way. Right, you're you're intrigued about the veteran who's coming back, and he's fighting this guy you don't know. And if this guy you don't know turns out to be a stud, well, great, you just created a new fan for him. And you get to see that that premier matchup at the top, which is going to be two big names with fighting with some implications. Right, in this case, it was Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens, which we talked about what happened there last week. It was Cowboy against uh, Justin Gaethje. So, uh, you know. I love this strategy. I think it's very smart. And I think this is something that the UFC should continue to do. I mean, there's really not a whole lot more to add to it other than now you guys understand what their methodology is. You know, this is what they're going to do to grow the sport in these emerging markets. This is what they're going to do to create new stars in these local areas. And as a global brand, they just continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, one quick tidbit of information is that they're talking about having an IPO, an independent public offering for Endeavor, which is the parent company of the UFC. So I'm not this much of a finance guy. I'd, I'd like to talk to somebody who really knows their shit and get their input on all of this, but I do find this quite interesting. So I might, I might get involved, a little bit more involved in this. I don't know what it means for the UFC, but I could tell you that their valuation since they were bought has actually increased. They've actually shown better numbers since they were purchased. Despite the ESPN Plus, uh, well, that's got its own benefits. But despite the change up to the pay-per-view format, the ESPN Plus deal, all the things that they've kind of changed along the way, this has been a, uh, a net positive for them. And since they've been bought, they've actually increased in value. And they were bought at, I believe it was $4.2 billion with a B. So if they've grown since then, I mean, if they're north of five, amazing, amazing that you can have a fight company that generates this this much income despite a relative lack of viewership and i think that's largely because of this espn plus deal right that they now have a, an additional paywall that you can't get it through dish companies which in the entirety of combat sports and wrestling that's always been the way to fight is to watch the big fights you know and uh i gotta stop saying you know i apologize guys and i think that since ESPN Plus is ESPN is obviously a bigger, bigger machine. ESPN Plus, I think they've shown. I've been able to watch the Yankees on ESPN Plus, which is great. Being down in Washington D.C., not able to see uh, the New York Yankees. Like, there's a lot of different games that you're able to watch, different different sports uh, on ESPN Plus that have been a benefit, including other MMA fights. However, now we got UFC as well, and they're really pushing it. And I think that's gone a long way. One piece that goes along with this whole little fraction of information I'm providing here is that the UFC's stars like Khabib Nurmagomedov, uh, John Jones, their pre-fight shows, those have all been trending higher than ever on YouTube. So I find this interesting because their social media marketing and I'll, I'll, I'll put you know Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all of that has shown incredible improvements, which would indicate the increase in valuation but that hasn't really translated to views. So that is one thing where I'm like, hmm. You know, the they released the numbers for the uh, non-pay-per-view fights 
pay-per-views, they no longer release the numbers, but mostly because they don't care. You know, because ESPN is playing them a fat salary instead, right? Instead of commission-based, if you think about it that way. ESPN Plus, for every pay-per-view, they pay the UFC directly, and then they take the profits from the pay-per-view. But the viewership doesn't seem like it's getting bigger. But as a fan, as somebody who's involved in the sport, it does seem like it's growing to the casual audience. So I think more people, are they want to know what's going to happen, but I'm not quite sure they, they're investing the time to watch what's happening, if that makes sense. I'm going to revisit this, but I do find this this in this whole thing in particular, I, I just wonder where it's going and how big they'll grow before they start to bottom out. But when you start talking about a global sport, I think they have a lot more room to go, especially with China, especially with Wei Li Zhang, now the champ. I mean, there's there's some things that are going to change here moving forward, and I hope that that just means there's more fights and more opportunities to uh, watch some of the very best in the world compete. But before I get too in the weeds with that, I also want to let you all be doing commentary this Saturday for Cowboy Fight Series. This is the third show. The last one was June 30th, I want to say, I think. Shit, I don't remember. I want to say it was June 30th. I think it was June 30th. But this one is this Saturday, and they're doing uh, four different tournaments. So there's four eight-man tournaments from 155 pounds, or I believe 145 pounds all the way up to 185 pounds, right? So 145, 155, 170, and 185. And they have some of the best amateur talent around. And I'll, I'll tell you this objectively, guys. You know, I worked for another promotion. I can even tell you it was Cagezilla. Very uh, a storied track record here in the DMV. They've been going on for about 10 years. They were formerly known as Operation Octagon. And that company, they do good. They're a little inconsistent. And a lot of their fights, it's you know guys fighting for the first time. Guys who really, they, they really have no business fighting, but they got to fight. And they're going to go in there and they're going to give it their best go. Cowboy Fights doesn't really do that. A lot of their guys fighting are well-trained, they're coming from solid gyms. They, they have a bit more of a reputation. The fighters themselves, not the organization. Obviously, they do. They're doing great. But the fighters themselves that they get, they have a little bit more of a reputation and professionalism about them. So the fights you see at the amateur level are just a little bit better. You know, I'll never forget one fight that I called was uh, Chase Boutwell against Corey Champion. And both of these guys, this was at the first Cowboy Fight Series, were just so good. They're, they were just so good for amateurs. I was like... I was honestly in disbelief, and they've since both gone pro since then. They were both young guys in their early 20s, but they've both gone pro since then. And I will tell you that for these folks, if you're fighting an amateur in the mid-Atlantic, you, you want to fight for Cowboy Fight Series. You really do. So I'll be calling those Saturday. There's about 15 fights on the card. Four of those fights are going to be, or actually, I'm sorry, eight of those fights are going to be in the uh, one of the four tournaments that I talked about, and it should be a great night. I'll be in the booth alongside Sadiq Youssef and Carl Robertson. So uh, it's always awesome working with those two UFC vets. And Carl is actually going to be fighting in Russia November 9th, I believe. So uh, we'll be talking about that on air. And of course, Cowboy Cerrone will be there, and then another special guest that I'm working on as well. So that'll be pretty cool. I, uh, I can't say it, but I'll tell you guys about it after. So keep on the lookout for that. You know, I was looking up some dating stuff this week, and it was a little underwhelming, if I'm being honest. I, I try to give you guys a little bit more quality, and I just, it's, it wasn't something I wanted to rush, especially because these last two episodes have had quite, quite a good response, and I'm going to continue to do this. But for your awareness, what I do is I go through subjects that I'm just involved in. I'm reading a lot of articles and stuff, and then I try to find 
effectively anything that has a journal to it, right? So like anything that has a study done as opposed to like an article from Cosmo about like why he won't call you back, 10 secrets to get him to fucking call you back. I don't know. Cosmo's so ridiculous. I try to go with things that have some sort of scientific journal study that backs them, right? Because that just gives it a little bit more legitimacy and the way I can talk about it changes, right? I can't be like, this author is just ridiculous. I have to actually provide some some really legit context. So it, it makes me work harder and provide better breakdown for you as well. But I was talking to Omar Badar, shout out to my man. And uh, I, shout out to my man, Omar. If I don't say anything after my man, it sounds a little weird. Uh, so he had sent me this post from Humans of New York, which is a Instagram blog, uh, or I think it's Instagram or Facebook, I'm not sure. And what they do is it's like a conversation that they have with somebody. And Omar and I are definitely going to have this conversation over uh, over this podcast just because we have opposing views. But as you guys know, like not like, like a debate, right? Because number one, debating Omar is kind of like fighting Kamal. Like, I watched him tune up these three Israelis in a debate on national TV, and I'm like, mm, I'll stay in my lane. I'll stay in my lane. But, uh, you know, obviously, one, he's number one. He's like one of my best friends. But two, I think that the he's he's very intelligent. And he, he's open-minded. So you could provide a really good reason for his belief that might change my opinion or yours. But at the least, it's just another strong point of view that's not, you know, some crock of bullshit, right, at its core. But I'm going to read you this quote. Uh, this story, well, it's in quotes. I don't know if I would say this is a story. It's like a paragraph. That was on Humans of New York that me and him had talked about at length over Twitter, but we are going to talk more about here. Um, but I just want to give a, li- a bit of a baseline so you guys know what's coming up before we do this. And we'll probably do this on a bonus episode um, as opposed to a straight, you know, straight one episode of Lover and the Fighter. But here we go. I'm going to read it. This is the Humans of New York post. I was like an incel kid. I'd never had a girlfriend. I'd only had sex with prostitutes. I was very suicidal. Then one day, I was standing next to a cute girl at a bus stop, and I googled, how to approach women. That's when I came across a forum for pickup artists. It's exactly what I'd been looking for. It seemed like a cure for my autism. I watched all the videos I could find. I started working out at a gym. I'd spend all day approaching women. Soon, I was only hanging out with other pickup artists. They respected me. They wanted to learn from me. Finally, there was something I was good at. Right now, I have over 1,000 numbers on my phone. It's a bit like gambling. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. But you always have the chance for sex. There are so many tricks to learn. Women have emotional brains. They get addicted to feelings. You can use that to your advantage. The first time you meet her, tell her she looks amazing. But never give her a full compliment again. She'll always chase that validation. It's like a drug. Tell her she looks beautiful for her age. Tell her she looks good in this lighting. Keep her insecure with half compliments. Keep her feeling like there's something wrong with her. Like she's not good enough for you. Like she needs sex for validation. Of course it's manipulation. But why should I care? I've been manipulated so many times in my life. Okay, so first off, this dude's got excellent game. And I'm saying that first off because he drops some gems here that everybody should use. Right? But before I break that down, you could read that last what is it, three sentences, keep from where he goes, keep her insecure with half compliments. That in itself tells you like, oh, that's a little fucked up. And then when he follows up with, keep her feeling like there's something wrong with her. Okay, now it's really fucked up. Like she's not good enough for you. Actually, that's fine. Like she needs sex for validation. Well, that's just weirdly worded. 
But then when he says, of course, it's manipulation, but why should I care? Okay, so I, I wanted to get this out in the open first, because when we were talking about this, I didn't necessarily make this clear. At this point, to me, it was clear that this is a guy who's doing this out of revenge, right? That in itself makes the whole thing fucked up, if that makes sense, guys. Like, when you, sexual strategy is immoral. You don't judge it. You have a line that you hope you don't cross, right? I never really looked, I, look, I just don't look highly on cheating, right? So that's my line. So it's hard for me to say I won't judge. Uh, you know, my family had that, that kind of problem. So like, I definitely kind of judge hard on that. But I also won't look at you, like, I don't know. It's, you're not, it's not my life. You got to do what you got to do. I'm not going to do it. So I try not to judge on that. But when people start doing things out of like malicious intent, that's when you go from, you know, you're chasing your own sex and validation, right? Because he was chasing validation. The, the very thing that he was using to try to get laid, he was effectively chasing himself, which I have no problem with. Um, but he started to do it because he was mad at what had happened to him earlier. And we talked about it a few times on the podcast. He referred to himself as an incel. But what were the first things he did after he Googled this? He started working out. He started dressing better. He took care of his diet, approached women. He made himself uncomfortable, but he made himself a better man. He increased his value. And he was sold this dream of if you're, if you're nice and Prince Charming, women are going to flock to you. It doesn't work that way. You have got to become something that they desire. And it seems like once he became that thing, the fun and excitement of, oh my God, I can't believe I'm having all this sex or I can't believe I'm attracting these women turned into this bitter angriness that really at its core, they didn't like him when he was just him right? When he was the self-described incel, they didn't like him. They wouldn't even look at him. And he gets mad at that. But this is an inherent lie that's told to guys that just be yourself. Look, I'm not saying you need to be somebody else, but you've got to work hard and you've got to improve. Otherwise, you're not going to attract women. And that's okay to say. And everything else, by the way, he said was not bad. It was just those last three sentences, which showed this malicious intent, which make everything before it sound so much worse. But really, at its core, what happened? He was a loser. His words. He worked hard to not become a loser. He found success. And then he started to get bitter over that success. And it became a bit of revenge, right? I'm sure Omar is going to have a very intelligent yet opposing opinion on the subject. We're definitely going to talk about it. But I wanted to kind of pave the road for that first. And I'm also going to tell you that that line he said of the first time you meet her, tell her she looks amazing, but then never give her a full compliment again. Let me tell you what, that is legitimate game. And men and women do that all the time, all the time. They, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I've had women say that like ridiculous shit to me. Your abs look pretty good, but if your arms are a little bigger, I think it'll make them look better. Right? Shit. You know what I thought about for the next couple of days? Are my arms too small? But then eventually, as I got older and I became more secure with myself, it's like, cool. If somebody told me that now, I'd be like, nah, I kind of like what I got. But I appreciate your input, right? So I don't really look at that as manipulation. Um, I just look at that like that's a fucking fire line. And that's something I've seen on both sides. And I don't blame either side for it. You know what I mean? I think it's called like a neg, right? And I think the main reason for that is that so often people, are, especially people who get compliments they get a lot of them 
it's kind of like the 80-20 rule. If you get one compliment, you're probably getting a fucking ton all on the same sub- same subject. If you need further proof, just look at any girl's Instagram, whether it's in her DMs or if she's famous enough, just look at the hundreds of comments she has with dudes who are just hoping to sniff her fart. Like, this is this is what it is. So how do you differentiate that? Well, that's what he has effectively learned from pickup artists who they all kind of run the same game and it works you know, and it works for women too. Like I used to read, by the way, I know so much about Cosmo because I used to read my friends when we would all go over, all of us would drink and I would just read articles to them from Cosmo. And that was probably the most enlightening thing I got as a younger guy. I was probably like 15, 16, 17 because the the strategies that are written about in an editorial for women, read by women, which by the way, completely fine is probably something that in today, mind you guys, that was 10 years ago, 11 years ago, almost 12 years ago, depending on how old I was when I was drinking. Back then it was completely different. That A lot of that stuff was much more acceptable. But Cosmo at that time was writing shit like, you know, how to cheat and get away with it. Or like one article I read in particular was, uh, so you cheated. Do you feel guilty? That's okay. Or like, you know, what do you do now? Do you tell them? Do you keep it to them? And they would have writers write in and the editors would post their their opinion and stuff it was, it was actually really fucked up shit worse i would say than what this gentleman just wrote including those last three lines but this is what sexual strategy is and by the way sexual strategy is really just another word for dating you know and some people take it to extremes like this this guy from uh, this gentleman from humans of new york or those writers at cosmo but i think it's something that needs to be a little bit more public like yeah all right whatever i know what you're doing you got to learn the game, right? It's like it's like some dating is really just a play for power. But if I walk by the street and some guy's like, hey, bro, you want to get this DVD of the Avengers? $5. If I buy it, it's probably going to be sideways on the TV, filled from a Motorola Razor, uh, from some guy's jacket. And you know what? Shame on me for buying it. That's not to say that you should be lying to bed men or women into, into, into having sex with you. Like, that's ridiculous. But the point I'm making is some of these things have been around for so long and it's not really that creative. It's not really that uh, that new. You know, it's like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I mean, nothing this guy was doing out, outwardly up until those last three lines was anything that we haven't heard before. Men or women, right? So I, I'm rambling a little bit. I don't mean to, but I just, he, it was a really great conversation we had and we're going to take that conversation onto the podcast but i wanted to give a little baseline for the viewers so if you do start to think about it you know write down some thoughts give me your input on what you think about all that if you find the quote it was from humans of new york this guy was from i can tell you in one second amsterdam the netherlands and it was posted on september 20th so check it out let me know what you guys think we're gonna i'm I'm gonna talk to omar now and, and figure out a time for us to talk about it but I, I, I would love to hear everybody's thoughts, you know, and I, I think if you can read it two different ways, read the whole thing and then read it, but cut out those last three, uh, last three sentences. And I think you get a very different message each one. And that's kind of what I took away. I, I kind of separated into both, which I'll tell you a little bit about then. But for now, guys, it's been another great episode. And I know I started with district martial arts. I'm going to end with district martial arts because this podcast is sponsored by District Martial Arts, the premier mixed martial arts gym in Arlington, Virginia. DMA has expert-level instruction in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, boxing, wrestling, and MMA. Come by soon for your free trial and reference this episode of The Lover and the Fighter for a special discount. I also want to thank our friends of the podcast, Sorello Art, 
who's doing great things, traveling a little bit too much. My man needs to relax, but he's still your guy if you need any sort of painting done. He's a commission man. Reach out to him directly or through us. We'll facilitate the introduction. And I also want to thank friend of the podcast, Grace Ibrahim, the Grace Effect, who is the, uh, pro- uh, the producer, the editor of this podcast, along with the Brilliantly Dumb Show, which is available on iTunes. And she's going to be working on a couple other things too. So keep an eye out for her. Always doing big things. She is your marketing guru. And, uh, you know, not much more I could say about her that you guys don't already know. But for now, I hope everybody has a great week. Tune in to Flow Combat on Saturday at 6 p.m. for a Cowboy Fight Series. I'll be behind the mic. Hopefully, you can hear me clearly. Uh, and I'll be there alongside Carl Robertson, Sadiq Yusuf, and there will be a Cowboy Cerrone interview. So be on the lookout for that. I cannot wait to share with you that whole experience. And uh, I'm working on a few other things as well from the business side of MMA. Maybe it's time to get back involved. Guys, I hope everybody has a great week. I'll be back next Wednesday for the next episode. I'll be up in the fight.